0: They keep pushing my chair further away from me. I'm thankful for the exercise. Proverbs 14. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. And then notice, as the writer of the Proverbs, so we have hands, we have feet, but notice the writer of the Proverbs says this, in the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise protect him. In the book of Matthew, chapter 12, we have this stunning stunning uh, couple of verses that tell us this that every careless word out of your mouth will be judged. And that by your words in the judgment, you will be both justified and condemned. I don't know if it hit us with the weight that it should have. A couple of weeks ago when we were in James chapter 1, and we looked at verse 26, if any... One thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. The tongue, the mouth, it's a powerful thing. There's power in this tongue. As we've been looking at the book of James and we've been convicted that we are to be doers of the word, part of being a doer of the word is recognizing and regulating what comes out of our mouth. Now, do I have any volunteers to come sit in the chair this morning? Teasing. You wouldn't want to volunteer, really. <laughs> How often, you you can only imagine, right? How often in my office as I've been counseling folks, how often is it the wounds from a loved one, the wounds from a father, the wounds, words from a father, the words from a mother, the words from teachers, the words from peers that have been taken in and set them on a life on a journey it's been difficult one time i sat with a pastor he was bivocational and he was coming in to see me because his life was a was a wreck he was bivocational and uh, then he lost his church, uh, so he's working this job. And, you know, there, there aren't a lot of jobs that advertise for Bible school graduate, but, you know, he was a skilled guy and working this job. And next thing you know, he's losing his job. Next thing you know, he's losing his marriage. And what's the common denominator? What's the common theme? If you would have sat with this man, you would have known that his his words he was harsh you wouldn't have wanted to sit under his teaching or to be shepherded or pastored by him it would have been hard to be his coworker or his spouse you know everyone has an excuse for their tongue running away, don't we? Some of mine are that I've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad year. (laughs) I'm tired or I'm hungry. Some some hold out that, you know, I just have the right to speak what's on my mind. It's my God-given right as an American that I can say whatever I want to and you just have to sit and listen to it. Some of us, this is my home, my church, my this. You will sit and listen to me. Speech has such a power, doesn't it? With the same mouth, we can both build someone up and and flatter them or completely tear them down. It's no surprise to you, I take it, that much of my time counseling folks is spent Dealing with words that have been spoken to them. Where they have been wounded in the past. Sometimes it's even the lack of words. Like a mother or a father. Or nobody ever telling someone that they're loved. And so maybe they go throughout their life looking for love. Looking to be validated. Other times it may be someone that has been so berated by by, by a parent. That they're worthless. That they're no good. That they either just become paralyzed and, and don't leave the house or they do the other thing. They just work, 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 work to try to display and try to prove to themselves that those words aren't right. I'm reminded of, of, a, of a man that I was very envious of, Lance Armstrong, who won, who did hold the record for winning the tour to Francis. And as I started reading articles about him, uh, it just became really Evident that this was a tortured soul. In his training facility, he would put pin up. uh, This was kind of before podcast. He would pin up all the newspaper articles and magazine articles in which people would say negative things about him. And if if you heard him talk about what motivated him as a cyclist, it was all the negativity in his life. All the words that had been spoken to him. And it drove him so hard that he was willing to cheat and lie and lie and grandstand to prove those words that had been spoken to him wrong. Now, one of the things I'm thankful for is that because we're now in an age of social media, this this word thing has just gone away. No, it hasn't. Now we can hide. Now we can hide. Our text this morning kind of starts in an odd place. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You may think, well, this is an odd beginning because then he flows right into this use of the tongue. And I think what James is doing here makes total sense. And he's saying, look, leaders, teachers, be careful about how you use your mouth. You have a power. You have an audience. There are people that are listening to you. And if the words of his half-brother Jesus are ringing in his ears as he's writing this, that's an if, if he remembered those words, maybe he's hearing those words that Matthew recorded about the judgment, that we'll be judged for every word that comes out of our mouth. And James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, yes, and if you are a teacher, even more so. And then notice James does this interesting thing. Notice the pronouns here. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we... He puts himself in here. And he invites his listeners in. We will incur a stricter judgment. And then in verse 2, for we all stumble. That the construction here is this is an emphatic all that he's pushing out here. We all stumble. Starting with teachers, to us all, stumble. This is an all of us problem. With our words, we're to display that we're to be doers of the word. How is that going for us? With our words, James has told us that we are to be slow to speak, careful to speak. And aware, not impulsive, not quick. With our words, we are to fulfill the royal law, the law of the land, which is to love your neighbor. It is fascinating when you think about the tongue. Think about how complex we are as human beings. I mean, I could invite the various healthcare workers and doctors in here and they could tell you about their area of specialty and how complex things are. And we think about this very small thing inside of our mouth, this tongue. And James is laboring here to show us that this so this small thing is so powerful. And as we get into verse three and four, he gives us two illustrations. The first one is a horse. Now, if we put the bits in the horse's mouths so that they'll obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And you think of a horse. Now, some of you, when you think of a horse, you think of like nice, majestic pony ride. You're speaking of someone who hasn't been bucked off of a horse. Every horse I get on throws me off. And so, when I look at a horse, I see the muscles and the power and the big old teeth. And then you even think about our, the language that we use. For those of you who are who, who are gear junkies, when you're talking about your car, you're talking about what horsepower. Ooh. What James is pulling us into is this horse, this thing that is so strong, this thing that can work this thing that can carry major loads think about this this wild animal can be tamed with this small thing that's put in its mouth or or if you're not getting the picture there think about the ship and the idea here is that we are to think about this massive ship and not only the ship look at the ships also they are great and are driven by strong winds We've got these big, massive boats and all of these elements, the wind and the waves, these things that, man, we are not in control of at all. And James says, consider that this thing is directed, this large ship is directed by this small rudder. What we are to think of here is a a massive Clydesdale or a, a cruise liner. That if we were examining these things, we might not even notice the bit in the mouth or the rudder on the back of the boat. But those small things determine the course, determine the direction that these things go, the power. And if that weren't enough, James in verse five tells us this, so also the tongue is small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. How often have you heard of these massive fires that have burned hundreds and thousands of acres that is started by a campfire that, that the person thought was out, but there was just a small little flickering smolder. Pooh, set the whole forest on fire. Or maybe someone flicks out a cigarette butt. I think it was up here a couple of years ago. If not, I know this has happened in other places. When we had some of the fires up here, I think one of the what they came down to that that fire was set by was a lawnmower blade hitting a rock and a little spark, and boom. Think about. Think about the power of the tongue that it can set a forest aflame by such a small little thing i had a friend one time that i was meeting with and he was a really really intelligent guy i mean he he loved to kind of sit around and philosophize about life and he i mean he was he he really is brilliant and one time he was talking about something and we were agreeing on this principle. And I said, yeah, people who don't believe that are just stupid. And he stopped me dead in my tracks. He said, don't you ever say that word around me again. And I said, what? Stupid. And he began to unfold that he had a learning disability. And when he was in school, learning disabilities were people didn't know much about them. And, uh, and so a lot of times kids who had learning disabilities were... Were made fun of and teachers were awful to them and parents were awful. And he had grown up with this idea that he was stupid. And he couldn't even bear to hear somebody utter the word. How many marriages are torn apart because of words? There's this famous researcher by the name of Gottman. He's a non-Christian, but he can predict. He can predict how a discussion in a marriage will go within like two minutes, based upon the words that are used. Words never cause any disruptions in churches, do they? The church I grew up in went through a church split because of rumors. Murmurings. Lies. Then a fire started. And then the church split. And here's the thing. Some of my friends that were in the youth group with me still carry that hurt and still have not darkened the doors of a church because of the hurt that they went through when we were 14, 15 years old. Now, I want to be clear about something. I am not, this morning, James is not digging into... If you've been wounded by words, that you can just kind of stay in that and be hurt. That's not what James is going into this morning. There's another sermon that needs to be preached probably on that topic. James is concerned this morning with the one who would wound. It's not an excuse for somebody to stay and to not grow and to not forgive and not push forward. But this morning, what James is having us to consider is that we are to be people who have control of our tongue so that we wouldn't be people who wound. We wouldn't be people who hurt. As a Christian, we should care about how our words affect others. And I've heard Christians give some awful excuses for their tongues, like, I'm a truth teller. And by that, they mean that, hey, listen, you know, part of loving someone is telling them the truth. And so I don't care how they will take it. I'm going to tell them. Others. Others would say, you know, I'm that kind of bless your heart, Christian, that I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm going to lie to you sweetly. Both of those are are, are wrong are bad you know one of the examples that I think of is there were uh, and I don't know if this still happens but you know for a long time there were people who would show up on college campuses Christians with megaphones and they would yell and scream and degrade students who were around the campus they would talk about the length of a girl's skirt or you know if a guy was smoking a cigarette and they would just berate angrily and I, I wonder how many how many of those people Heard that and said, oh, will you tell me about this Jesus that you say you love so much? I mean, how did Jesus handle the woman at the well? He was truthful and he was loving. She was mesmerized by him. He gives us a good example. We can't we shouldn't divide. Truth, people where there's no love. And love people where there's no truth. That's not who we are as Christians. It just means some of us have to work harder on some of those other ends to, to figure out how to do this thing well. We've got to, as Christians, throw away our excuses for being unkind and for letting our words get us in trouble. You know, the power of words is fascinating. It's fascinating. Do you ever think about creation that God could have created any way that He wanted to? When God chose to create the world, He could have just thought it and it happened. But do you notice what the Bible tells us? That God spoke. And the world was created. And then do you ever, do you ever wonder why when God looks, man is created? And God speaks again, and He says what? It is good. He speaks life. Words are powerful. There was another voice in that garden, wasn't there? There was a serpent. That serpent spoke half-truths and lies. And that tongue of that serpent Unleashed a curse on this world that we have not recovered from. I mean, I think about in the garden. Where God says to Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? Who spoke things to you that led to guilt and shame? I think if we really try to understand this text. I think there's a tendency that it can be pretty depressing. So I'm going to depress you for a little while. There's hope. You know that. But look at verse six. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is the very world of iniquity. Impure. Sin. Guilt. Defiled. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. We've got this whole complex body and it's the tongue that's set among us that defiles our entire body. And it sets... On fire, the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. This is one of those places that I would wish that James would say, But God, let's keep reading. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless, evil and full of deadly poison. And if that's not enough, notice the hypocrisy of the tongue, the depravity of this tongue with it, we bless our Lord. And with it we curse men. If you were here this morning, if I let our volunteers come up and we did a therapy session about your tongue, I think one of the things that we would get from James is this whole idea of maybe trying harder Just may not cut it. Maybe you would want duct tape, or I had to look this word up: a glossectomy, where you cut your tongue out. I can't help it; it's depraved. Look at look at all that it does. There's this really bad news, but embedded in this text is some really good news, and I. I I think we can miss it if we're if we're not careful readers of this word. In verse two, it says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. In verse 26 that I read earlier of chapter one. It tells us this, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. And I think what James is telling us is that it is possible to bridle your tongue. And he's given us these illustrations. I think even in the negative illustrations of looking at the horse and the bit in its mouth, notice when he says this in verse 3, it says, we direct their entire body as well. And in verse 4, when he talks about the rudder on the ship, he says the rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, that there is something beyond the tongue that's in control. What could that be? I also think that the very fact that James is laying out so much time talking about the tongue means he is encouraging us to do something about it. I don't think James is in the business of just trying to depress us and leave us there. Again, in verse 2, it talks about being perfect. And you may look at that and bristle and say, yeah, but we're not perfect. But if we realize this is the same word that was in chapter 1, verse 4, it reminds us that what James is talking about here, about being perfect, is being in this process of sanctification. Of walking in such a way. Of journeying through this life. And so I think what James is telling us here... He is telling us that we're on this journey and it is our responsibility to bridle this tongue. Now, I think there's these two other kind of neat ideas that come out here. One is in verse 7. Notice that in verse 7, James is quoting Genesis here. He's bringing to mind Genesis, the creation account. And he says, every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. This whole idea that as humans we are supposed to subdue. We are supposed to be good stewards. And I wonder, I wonder if the Holy Spirit, as He's inspiring James, is wanting us to draw to mind this idea as well. Do you ever think about your tongue in a way that it needs to be subdued? That your tongue and your speech Need to be stewarded. Or what about verse 9? Again, this idea from Genesis. With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. These image bearers, that as we steward our tongues, as we subdue our tongues, That there's a motivation here for Christians that when we speak to other people. That there is the ability to steward and subdue in such a way that we can look at other image bearers and hold up and see dignity because they're made in the likeness of God. And so we speak. And we work. And we talk in such ways that. Upholds that dignity. The other reason why I think there's a lot of hope here is that even in verse 10 when it's talking about this blasphemy of blessing and cursing, he says, my brethren, these things ought not be this way, which in my mind draws the attention to there is another way. There is another way. It's not just duct tape or cutting your tongue out, but I think what James is doing is that he's pushing us deeper. God didn't stop speaking in the garden, did He? Praise be to God He didn't stop speaking in the garden. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that in past times that God spoke in many ways in various forms, in prophets, in leaders, that He spoke in a variety of ways and He he, he displayed things about Himself. That He's full of loving and kindness. And He drew us into a relationship with Him. He told us what He's like. He told us what He's not like. He told us that He would make a way. And in the book of Hebrews, it even tells us that in former days He spoke this way. But now He has spoken to us through what? Through His Son. God is speaking this powerful message. And the message that we have heard is that there is hope and that there is redemption. So that when we place our hope and trust in Him, one of the things that we have gotten through the book of James is that it means that we are new. Our life is changed. Paul talks about it this way. You put off this and you put on that. So that when we begin to think about this tongue, we begin to think, oh, wait a minute, believer, there's something going on here. Christ tells us this in Luke chapter 6. Christ talks about that it's out of the what that the mouth speaks? Heart? So if Christ is in the heart, what should come out of the mouth? Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh fish. When we look at verse 12, it draws us back into the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said that you will know them by what? Their fruit. What's in the well? What's in the well comes out. And so the goal of a Christian, if you want to be able to tame your tongue, the goal is to get at the heart And to desire the right things. Have you ever asked this question? Why did God create your tongue? Some of you will say, so I can taste things. Yes, okay. But in this context, why did God create you with the ability to speak? Is it because you have something so important to say that the world needs to hear it? Just like your social media account? With other things, the answer lies in to glorify God. I do think we need to spend time thinking about things like this, that we are given a mouth, we are given the ability to speak so that we can praise the Lord God our Father. So that we can shout from the rooftops the hope that's found in the gospel that sinful men and women can be reconciled to God. That's why we're given a mouth. And also so that we can love our neighbor. Ephesians chapter four. Talking about the life and community, the Christian community in verse twenty nine. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. Building up according for the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. One of the reasons that we're given a mouth is to be able to speak life and edification and build up one another because God knew that we would need it. And notice this. Right after that, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let not all let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you whatever is meant whatever is meant by grieving the holy spirit i think it has something to do with our tongues and how we treat one another later in ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 and 19 do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the spirit Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That our mouths are used to encourage one another by singing songs and psalms and building one another up. So when our words. When our words or our temptation is for our words to come out and for them to be bitter and full of envy, full of hatred, full of slander. Cutting, piercing. When we can only think about truth and not think about how we're delivering that truth, there needs to be an inward look at our heart and to realize that something is wrong. And I think that the something is wrong is that we've bought into the lie of the world. When you look again at this at this verse. Where it says, who have been made in the likeness of God, it, it makes me think of in verse nine, other humans that have been made in the likeness of God, it, it makes me think of, well, all right, Lewis, so when you are the other way then you're living in such a way as if you don't believe that God exists, that He's not the glorious one, that He is created and He's created other, and that He has set up of how things are supposed to go. That, In other words, I turn that upside down when I am tempted to use my words in a different way. Really, I'm placing myself as number one. I'm denying the existence of God. So when I'm in my home and I use my words to wound my children, at the bottom of that is the idea that this is my home, my rules, and you just get in line. The Bible also speaks of wives who desire their husbands and tear them down with their words. My home, my right. What is the source of church divisions? Gossip, scheming. This is my church. Things are going to go the way that I want them to go. As a teacher and a preacher, in, I feel the temptation to... Manipulate or to flatter or to dominate. It's because this is my pulpit. This is my platform. This is not the water of a redeemed heart. This is not the water of a redeemed heart. In an exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruit among his creatures. Therefore, putting all aside, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness in humility receive the word that's implanted in your souls and prove yourselves doers of that word. Which stream which stream are we going to allow to wash us? and to cover us and to come out of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be slow to speak. Heavenly Father, help us to be people who are purposeful about our words. Father, help us to be a people who live out the reality That if we are yours. That your word is alive and it is in us. God I pray that Single Mountain Church will be marked. By its desire. To love you supremely. That treasures you above all things. That so loves your son that we're willing to lay down our life and our rights and our words to display to the world your mercy, your love, and your grace. Help us, Lord. We are in need of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.